P-S-N-Y. media game playing in that the media game was great uh that's funny you did you just remember that that i mentioned yeah. it last time or uh no no okay. I, just, I just i just remembered um that you and hoke and a bunch of the other guys in the on twitter played. yeah yeah that, yeah that was, that was like a lot of fun yeah i i played in high school a little bit in college so sure. i was trying to dust off a little rust um <laughs> i don't know if it was an error or a single so i'll say i was oh for one but I had four sure. at-bats, got on base all four times, uh, hit by pitch, two walks. Uh, <laughs> I think they saw the the six-foot-six slugger stepping in. They didn't want to give me anything. It was the judge treatment. Um, <laughs> so, But I had four runs. I scored all four times. So I'll, I'll take was, it. Help who, a team. Who was pitching when you got hit? I don't actually know who it was. I know June right. Lee pitched for, for Boston for the majority right. of the game. He was, he was the bulk guy. Um, but by the end, it was really – no disrespect it wasn't as much pitching it was more throwing on both sides oh, yeah you know sure, yeah. um so locating was was a challenge for everybody um how many i just happened to play? it's as many as we can uh right. from oh, from the the time allotment so i think we got like seven plus innings in. we won 16 to three so we played pretty well um, awesome the yeah. boston massacre 2.0 <laughs> exactly 3.0 if you count uh, 2006 fair <laughs> anyway uh, as it going folks this is a uh, bleacher creatures episode 139 part of elite sports ny part of crossing broad xl media warwick gaming and as always rivercrest nyc back in the studio with us we have max goodman from uh, sports illustrated uh, just telling us about the media day exploits uh, or media game exploits at fenway but max you just said uh, it's been very busy because it, it was just trade deadline season and i think we're all kind of catching our breath wouldn't, wouldn't you say definitely uh, you know the best team in baseball I don't think there was as much of a feeling of desperation like this time last year for the team to make moves of course yeah I think some of the flaws were pretty evident over the last couple of weeks mm-hmm. certain parts of the roster hadn't performed as well but but uh Cashman and and his his team his staff they really went out and addressed every possible need that this team could have going forward for the rest of the year. I think they really put themselves in a better position today than they, they were in right before the, the Benintendi trade in terms of the, the four, five deals, if you count Gallo uh, and, and the addition by subtraction there. So, you know, they made a lot of sacrifices. I think the, the return that other teams got from them, they really depleted the, the depth of pitching in the farm system, but to hang on to, your top four guys, if you really believe they're they're going to be the answer moving forward or you want to potentially use them in a, a bigger trade sometime down the road, it was a masterclass in that sense. Because when you look at some of the guys that they got, on paper, it looked like they might have had to give up more than just one top five prospect. But um, overall, I give them a good grade. I think that they, like I said, addressed a lot of oh, yeah. parts that needed to be addressed. And now let's see if it translates between the lines. Alec, you look you you look like you are burning to ask a question. So, <laughs> well, it's not, I don't even know if it's about burning of asking a question. It's more like 
Honestly, sometimes, Max, I don't know how you have the patience to deal with the echo chamber that is, you know, Yankees Twitter <laughs> sometimes. Um, terrible but, place. But terrible my mind place. is absolutely blown by the reception or how we view Cashman's performance on the trade deadline changed with the Montgomery trade. I, for one, am in full support of trading away Montgomery for Harrison Bader. I think Bader is a fantastic fielder. And even if his hitting isn't where we want it to be, um, he just provides so much value on the defensive side uh, of the ball. And like, you know, offensively, he's, he can definitely hold his own. Um, it just it amazes me that all of a sudden everyone is complaining, like we just traded away, you know, the next or the, the big staple in the rotation. And, and I don't know. I like, yeah, I, I don't know how you do it, Max. I don't know how you deal with that echo chamber because I, I read it and I get frustrated. I mean, I, I think I was part of the pretty substantial group that was very confused right when that trade dropped. It wasn't something that anyone really saw coming. And even looking at it now, you know, we've had over 24 hours to kind of digest it. It still is puzzling to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that as we dive deeper, it's easier to justify it and the return that they're getting is in theory, if Bader does come back healthy, which that's the plan, he'll be back in September. He's got another year of control. Um, Ideally for this team, he's more impactful in October when it really matters than someone like Montgomery who didn't necessarily factor into the playoff rotation, Mm -hmm. because if Luis Severino is going to be healthy and you're trusting Nestor Cortez to pitch this far beyond his innings, career high that he's had in his career um recency bias doesn't favor Garrett Cole but you know who he is and the track record he has and then Frankie Montas comes in and he's supposed to be the number two so that's four guys right there and you got a pretty deep bullpen as well you know how things are in in modern baseball guys aren't going six seven innings in the playoffs anyways I want to I I just want to jump in with this cool stat I got on Frankie Montas that I dug that I dug up today He's got a 3.40 career ERA against the Astros against the AL East over, I think it was like 80-something innings, 2.40 ERA. So that, that the only team in the, in the East that he hasn't really pitched well against is the Blue Jays, but everyone else he has practically dominated. So quite an addition we're getting here if he, if he can handle playing in New York for sure. Definitely. I mean, he's, he's like the right-hand man for – for Cole going forward and that's what they wanted with Luis Castillo but at least you're getting somebody uh, yeah. for, for less of a return but yeah with that trade I mean like you hinted at Bader's offensive numbers are kind of an eyesore in terms of some of his metrics like there's a lot of ice cold blue when you look at his savant page but he mm-hmm. does have the ability to work good at bats and if he gets on he's a threat to steal and having someone who is arguably the best defender in center field when healthy uh, is is huge for this team. You don't have to have Judge there. You don't have to have Aaron Hicks there. As much as Hicks has played better of late, now you question how much he factors into the equation next year too, if they can find a way to offload that contract or, or whatever the future holds with him as he gets older. So, you know, it's it's a nice story. It's another homecoming. They've had so many different guys that are, you know, growing up fans of the Yankees and now they're contributing yeah, to a World Series caliber team. So surely that will only help the chemistry. Then again, you know, we heard from Jamison Tyone and Anthony Rizzo talking about how Montgomery was a big leader in the clubhouse. People really respected him as he's not a, a vocal guy, but he leads by example. And really everybody was, was kind of shocked. So I wonder how much that had an impact on 
these last couple of days, but baseball is a business, right? So I think that they, yeah. they got better in terms of winning a championship, but it's certainly not something that anyone really expected. Let's, For sure. And, and I, I just want to like also clarify, like, yeah, you can, you can absolutely be surprised by the Montgomery trade. I was definitely surprised by it. I was bathing my daughter this... and shouted, Oh my God. And scared my wife <laughs> after that. And, but like, you know, you got that same, you got the same kind of side of the fan base who are clamoring for Clark Schmidt to get more of an opportunity. And oh. it's like, well, you know, that's not going to happen if you move one of the guys that are already established there and who's the best guy to get rid of in that situation. I'm like, it's going to be Montgomery. You have your lefty guy in Cortez. Um, I think Cortez probably does things a little bit better than Montgomery at this point. I remember, uh, like I saw someone on Twitter saying like, you know, Montgomery is not a guy who's really going deep into games. And, you know, he's not pitching long enough to where, you know, yeah, as, as you said, Max, he's probably not going to be a factor in the playoffs. So additionally to that, because um, Max, Max put out a fantastic article, just sort of analyzing the Montgomery trade down to the core, touching on some stuff that Alex just mentioned. Something that I noted yesterday is that Nestor Cortez and Jordan Montgomery are very similar pitchers. The only difference is that Nestor Cortez in an emergency has a fastball that he can spin and throw hitters off with. Jordan Montgomery, yeah, he has his fastball some days, but for the most part, he's a junk baller. He's peaked, and he's also making $6 million this year. One year of arbitration left. You got to figure if it wasn't this season, it was probably going to be next. Yeah, I, I actually – it's funny looking back. I, I did like a bold prediction type thing going into the season, trying to think of what could possibly happen this year. Yeah. And I think that one of them was Gallo leading the team in home runs, which was like my big bold one, which obviously <laughs> didn't uh, pan out. Nope. Uh, but the other one was um, Montgomery finishing like top 10 AL Cy Young, which I really thought that he had the potential to take a huge step forward after last year, because it's kind of been a constant build in terms of his production since Tommy John. And you mm -hmm. saw the flashes as a rookie, right? In 2017, he was oh, yeah. he was great. I didn't cover the team as, at that point, but looking back, he had great numbers then too. So in training, he was almost unhittable at points. Yeah, and and I mean, in that rotation, he's we didn't know what we were going to get from Nestor Cortez this year after the breakout last summer. Obviously, he's the one that ended up having the the huge breakout complete season this year. But I thought that Montgomery was poised for that, and maybe he'll continue to do well in. In St. Louis, I think they'll lean on him quite a bit going forward because they needed that starting pitcher depth and, and reliability in their rotation as they try to win a division. I think also his stuff generally translates better to the National League where it's all kind of contact first, especially in the Central. Because I think that the AL East, it's the meat grinder of baseball. It's you're, you're running through the gauntlet. NL Central, it's very old school, very built around sort of junk ball hitting contact. And so maybe there Montgomery can kind of rediscover himself as a pitcher and then sort of become even more special in his own, right? Maybe top 10 NL Cy Young. Possible. Yeah. I, I'm going to look up the Cardinals rotation because I honestly don't, I know they got Quintana, but. Um, and well, Wainwright's still there. And I think that Montgomery and uh, Michaelis, that's going right? to be a great relationship. Adam Wainwright and Jordan Montgomery, just two very similar types of pitchers. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, he, he certainly works hard. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've been around him these last couple of years and he's a great guy behind the scenes, very easy to talk to. Um, he doesn't always give the most in-depth answers with, you know, scrums and, and with the media, but if you get him one-on-one, -on -one, he, he knows his stuff. 
And like the rest of this pitching staff, he loves to talk pitching. And it, it really stood out to me how his press conference that he had, like right at the beginning of, of Tuesday's game, we were downstairs talking to him and then talking to Cashman. And he was just really taken aback. And yeah. he's been in this organization since 2014. And mm -hmm. I don't even Aaron Boone was like this. This came out of nowhere. And then he had to give Montgomery the news. So, you know, it goes to show that you may have guys within an organization that you're counting on at the moment that you really think are going to help you win. But the farm, the farm system, the front office is looking ahead and for financial reasons, for player development reasons. They just might not factor in. And if you can get a, a different type of player, that's more valuable Then you got to pull the trigger on something like that. So we can't really evaluate this yet. Yeah. We'll see what happens down the road. If Bader doesn't get healthy, then it's a swing and miss in my opinion. But if Bader's in there and he he's on the postseason roster, stealing bases and, and making diving plays in center, then it's, it's a success. Sticking with this, Max, um, obviously, uh, Jordan Montgomery was very, as you said, taken aback by the trade. And then Randy Miller's just absolutely heartbreaking interview with Joey Gallo. Uh, everyone knew or everyone had to know that trades were coming this season and that some guys were not going to be on the team anymore. And we're also uh, having the recording this episode on the back of a pretty uh, rough series loss to the Mariners. What's the energy like? around the clubhouse would you say well again i mean just being there on tuesday you know i think there was excitement tuesday afternoon before the game because efros and trevino were there for the first time yeah people were excited about montas coming in as well and joey gallo wasn't in there during our access time we were in there for that hour so we didn't see him we didn't hear from him but yeah going back in there tuesday night after the game um, it, it was, it was certainly different and hearing Tyone say, you know, yeah, this, this one hurt Montgomery was a best friend. I'm going to be in his wedding this off season. We shared a love for coffee and bourbon. <laughs> and I know from my conversations with them, cause I'm a gamer that they played video games together all the time. They would sit oh, together on great. planes. And yeah. so, you know, that, that takes a toll on a team. I mean, think about it. Montgomery has been there playing with, judge and glaber and these guys for years and years right he's been around the big league club since 2017 except for an injury so it, it really changes the core in terms of who's been around for a long time and I, I mentioned earlier he's very respected in that room so some of the younger guys might look up to him and that pitching staff is very collaborative they talk to each other all the time and, and work together so i don't think it'll have that much of an impact down the road maybe you know, behind the scenes, it, it requires an additional conversation of, of Cashman or, or whoever the powers may be telling the team like what the reasoning was. But I think the understanding also when you're bringing in Bader, it's a proven commodity and someone that, you know, Anthony Rizzo, for example, very familiar with his game from his time in the NL Central. Surely Tyone yeah. as well, that he's a tough out, that he's going to bring defense and speed, which is a trend for this team lately in terms of the moves that they've made over the last year or two. So it, it's a tough pill to swallow, but I keep saying it. If it makes the team better, you got to kind of be on board with that because the Yankees have a very special opportunity this year with the way that they've looked so far. But at a certain point, it's a business, and you don't want to just hold on to the guys that you like. Yeah, if It's going to hurt your chances of winning a ring. Harrison Bader in particular is pretty intriguing because I mean, I'll admit I've got some bias here because he and my brother know each other. Uh, just 
Yeah, because um, Har- uh, Harrison went to Horace Mann. My brother went to Riverdale Country. So, yeah. so there's there's that connection there. But no, like, I, yeah, there is a lot of blue on his Savant page, but his career outs above average, it's over 50. His career DRS in, uh, in center field, I think it's plus 37. And not only that, even though he's not making great contact, he's not striking out a lot either. Think maybe Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, but as an outfielder. So, and not only that, he's got one year left to control. Alec, this, I want to hear from you on this. Maybe this means Jason Dominguez is closer than we think. Oh man, I would be so excited for that. Um, I, but I would, I'll actually kind of push back. I don't think this is indicative on how Jason Dominguez's, uh, you know, development is going. I, I wonder if maybe down the road they're going to give like uh, Esteban Florial uh, more of a look going into uh, maybe yeah. next year. Um, and maybe, maybe between him and Bader, if they somehow move themselves. Uh, or move out of the contract with Hicks, uh, maybe they will hold the fort down until Dominguez is ready. Um, well, Hicks, I think, might be a candidate to kind of kind of do like what the Twins did when they traded Donaldson over to New York. The, the Yanks will probably be like, "Hey, we got this guy," but they'll they'll probably offer to cover some of the money. I mean, I yeah. don't know. I think like Hicks hasn't looked terrible as of late, but I think that with with every slump of his that we see, he's definitely not necessarily a long-term fit, you know? No, yeah, I, 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 I don't see how he fits long-term. I don't think I really saw him how he fit, like, long-term at the, when we signed him to that extension. Uh, you know, he's just kind of like the that juice balls mirage. guy. That's what it was. Yeah, 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 the juice balls mirage. We, we saw it with Glaber, too. Um, ooh, interesting, I, I don't know if we're going to talk about that on no, this no, episode, but Glaber's name this. getting shopped. Um, yeah, well, but yeah. Um, Matt, I mean, Max, did you hear anything more about that Glaber's name getting shopped around? Just uh, we were all caught off guard when Jack Curry said it on Yes Network, and and I know that um, it was reported it was about the Pablo Lopez deal potentially, mm-hmm. but Brendan Cuddy from NJ.com also, and I was going to say this because in his article he also said they were potentially looking at moving a Hicks or a Donaldson in that type of. Donaldson trade where you package somebody to, to get rid of a contract. But yeah. I think Torres's name came up in the preliminary Soto discussion and then the preliminary Josh Hader discussion. That's what Cuddy reported. So, yeah, I mean, it, again, everybody's on the table, right. And listening to, to Cashman talk on Tuesday, he's, he's been in this position for quite some time. Right. I mean, I was yeah. born in 97. It's almost basically my entire <laughs> yeah. life. So He's been around. He's seen the way that the league has changed. And he said nowadays, nobody is off the table, basically. I mean, you can ask and check in about players that you would never have done so years ago. And you talk about team control and the fit going forward. Torres is only under control for two more years and your top two prospects are middle infielders. So something's got to give there as well. And if you you read Connor Foley's tweets, Peraz is killing it. He's he's Peraz is knocking on the door. And, yeah. and Volpe, I mean, guys make the jump from double A to, to the bigs relatively quickly sometimes, especially a, a top prospect. Not saying that he's coming up this year. I could certainly see Peraza, you know, getting a taste in September, maybe, uh, depending on how guys are healthy and all of that, too. But LeMahieu's not getting any younger. And on the bench, you know, Marwan Gonzalez is your, your utility guy. Uh, Matt Carpenter plays infield. These are not 
youthful assets, right? So they're they're paving the way. They didn't trade Volpe or Peraza. I guess they could have, in theory. They could have gone all in for Castillo yeah. and offered an even better package than Seattle did, but they didn't. So honestly, I on think, those guys. I think the Castillo trade package just came down to like what what the Mariners wanted to prioritize for the future because there were a lot of infielders in that trade. And you see on Seattle, like they certainly have some good infielders, but there's certainly room for improvement. Whereas the Yankees, they were trying to sell hard on Jason Dominguez and the Reds apparently weren't too interested. So sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, sometimes they just don't want the package and that's okay. Yeah, but very interesting to to follow Glaber's future. Uh, They didn't move Andujar or Florial. Interesting to see how they factor in going forward with also, I think I saw some, I got to look up on the option stuff. That's always confusing to me, but I don't think they have options next year. Um, Mm. So, you know, are are you going to move them in the off season? Otherwise, if they're just going to stick around in AAA, clearly Andujar is not happy based on him requesting a trade. So uh, those are, those are players that would benefit from an extended opportunity elsewhere. And I guess the Yankees just didn't get what they thought they would want from them. Right. versus a, a Gallo trade where you, everyone knows they're going to trade him and they still got a high quality pitching prospect. So a lot of question marks going forward, even as, as they answered questions at the deadline, there are still a lot of pieces that you're not really sure how they fit in going forward. I want to give Van Duhar credit for requesting that trade, but then, you know, not moping, not sulking, just going down and continuing to rake at triple A. I mean, I'm always going to root for the guy. I know that there is a lot of uh, criticism about him, when he requested the, the trade saying this dude hasn't really proven enough to, you know, be an everyday player in the major leagues. I tend to disagree. Um, but yeah, uh, even to, with the juice balls, like you could tell his rookie year, that bat was, that bat was for real. Well, the dude just had a propensity of just dropping the ball down on the left field line and getting doubles or hitting it into the gap. And if you look at his yeah. swing, it's a really interesting swing because it's a really level flat swing um it's almost kind of like donaldson-esque where you know right. i wonder if like honestly i feel like if if anduhar learned to lay off on the low pitch and try to attack up in the zone i think he could be even more productive um sometimes he gets a little over anxious and he, like he's chasing that curveball in the dirt and just for his swing profile and path it just yeah. does it's not a good match um but backtracking to the torres situation like honestly i wonder if you know, maybe in the off season going into next year, they package him to like a Hicks to help get some money off the books. And they just say, Hey, Peraza and Volpe, like middle infield is yours. I don't know how much either one of them has experience playing some second base, uh, but Peraza has a little bit. He's got a little bit. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them trying to pull that out for, you know, a short stint, maybe in like spring training next year. It's like, Hey, let's see how these two go one at short, one at second base, because I'm getting to the point where I'm not, I don't like being a prospect hugger, but I'm getting to the point where it's like maybe having both of them is your middle infield for a number of years and with their bats and how they produce, like it might not be such a bad idea. Well, the wild card in all this also is that you got to figure, okay, well, second base that you put one of them there, but there's also DJ LeMahieu, which also brings about Anthony Rizzo who can technically he can technically opt out after this season, but honestly, even if he does, like where I, I don't see him signing anywhere else besides here for the rest of his career. Well, I don't know. and you know, honestly, you get rid of Donaldson, you put DJ LeMay at third base. DJ has yeah. been more than serviceable at third base. He's, Maybe I think he's up there with the third base. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of flexibility there, but I mean, 
if you want to try to clear up the books and, and, you know, I, I think the Yankees need to move away from Glaber. I just don't. It's time. It, yeah. Yeah. He just, he doesn't seem to be growing here and, and, you know, that's not a slight on him by any means, but like, he's one of those weird left, like, like holdovers from, you know, that first big baby boom that the Yankees had, but not quite panning out. So or not panning out, but, you know, just hasn't taken the step that we've wanted to see for the last couple of years. Uh, and from all reports about Peraza and Volpe, I mean, these kids seem like the real deal. I mean, Vol- I, Volpe has 35 steals. Like, I did, not really? know his, I did not know his run Damn. game was that strong. Like, his average is still a little bit low from that slow start, but his OPS is high, is higher. It's, you know, around, like, I think low 800s, but, like, he's getting on base – He's hitting home runs and he's stealing. He's, I'm excited about him. Yeah, we had a uh, uh, ESNY's own managing editor James Cratch on a couple weeks ago, and he actually uh, he and his fiance actually went to Somerset and saw Volpe play. And I asked him like, "Hey, what was it like?" And he just said, "You know how when you're playing a high school game and there's that <laughs> one kid on the other team who you look at him and you go, oh yeah, yep, yep, that kid, that kid's the real deal.'" And that's how he described Volpe. I mean, Max, <laughs> you watched Volpe and Peraza down in spring training. I mean, what were your takeaways from watching them at this point? I was just trying to think about that when you were asking the question. Nothing, like, particularly stands out to me because they didn't get that many reps compared right, to, yeah. you know, the, the rest of the big league guys. Um, if anything, I think I remember more Austin Wells hits mm-hmm. than anything yeah. in terms of him getting reps against – big league pitching in, in spring training. But yeah, I mean, I, I like to check the box scores and I follow all the, you know, the affiliate Twitter accounts. And there are some, right. some guys and gals that cover those teams that I keep tabs on. And, you know, all, all you see are, are, you know, quality plays at short. And, and like you said, the, the steel numbers are there, the power is there, the OPS is there. So this is a very different conversation. If, those were packaged in a deal for Juan Soto or, or a top pitcher or something else. And you keep talking about Rizzo, LeMahieu, Donaldson. I mean, it's a great problem to have to have guys that are contributing veterans, helping a, a team try to win a world series this year. When you also have top 50, top 25 prospects in the game, knocking on the door that are poised to have a very long-term impact at the big league level, if all goes well in terms of their evaluations and how they're progressing in the minors. So I think in that sense, in the infield, it's a very exciting time for, for Yankees fans. I don't know what the future holds for Dominguez or for Wells for that matter, in terms of yeah. staying at catcher. But when it comes to the top prospects that stuck around at this deadline, because again, the, the pitching certainly took a hit in terms of the depth and, and the talent there, yeah. but Volpe and Peraza, those are two names to keep a close eye on moving forward. You also have to figure with all the pitching that the Yankees gave up in, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in this trade market, maybe they're looking towards next year's draft class already and they see some guys who they like there and they plan to restock that way. They've been, they've been churning talent out, right? I mean, it's, it's a testament to how deep that group was that they can give up these guys yeah. and not necessarily bat an eye. I mean, Waldachuk and Wes Neske were, were close in terms of AAA and, yeah. and starting depth. But when you have, Clark Schmidt, even even moving a JP Sears, it's not as much of a right uh, a sacrifice, especially when you have younger guys like you mentioned, 
whether it's this year's draft class, last year's draft class, next year's draft class. It seems like they're yeah. they're doing a great job at that level all the way up to the big leagues in terms of bringing the best out of pitchers and, and finding the under the radar guys that are going to contribute uh, with with this mold of sinker slider and whatever they're doing at the big league level too. So it's going to be yeah, really it's, interesting to see what how JP Sears slots into Oakland because if you look based on what we saw of him with the Yankees this year, he seems very much to fit into that vintage Oakland pitching, kind of that almost Tim Hudson Barry Zito sort of mold, kind of like kind of dinking and dunking the ball all over the zone, a lot of ground ball weak contact. <laughs> Well, we, we never really got to see him, you know, go eight innings in a start or whatever. Right. Like he, whenever he did get to pitch as a start, it was filling in and you're not really right. evaluating him as a long-term asset in that type of role. But I mean, he pitched well when he had his opportunities. I always considered Schmidt as the next man up in terms of a rotation spot. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I still think that that's the case. I think that, you know, this, this whole process of, trading Montgomery may very well be to open a spot for him based on the evaluations that they have within the organization and how he's pitched in the big leagues too because Domingo Herman is not really the long-term answer there you know they you have such a cushion in the division you can have somebody else eat up innings while everyone else gets healthy but I think the best possible starting five for them right now has Schmidt at the five spot yeah and it's an audition experience whatever you want to call it for him to potentially step in and and be in that rotation at the beginning of next year I think that would be a great opportunity for him and I think he's shown that he has what it takes for it for him to go out there and be getting three out three inning saves and pitching in high leverage when also then doing a spot start going down a triple a building up his pitch count I think he's he's uh, the next great piece for this rotation uh, but also I love watching him pitch. I love like the stuff that he has. Yeah. So I'm biased in that sense. Like I, I'm happy when he's in the big leagues because I like watching him pitch. Um, so, so that's something I'm, you know, rooting for behind the scenes as well, but he definitely has the, the skills to contribute at that level as well. Sticking with pitching. Um, you've built relationships with some of the young guys right now. Um, what are your, uh, have you had a chance to have early talks with um, the Scott Airfoss or, or uh, Lou Trevino? Not yet. These, these first couple of days. I mean, we heard from F Ross. He, he spoke in the clubhouse the other day. I'm F-Ross. excited to talk to him because he's a, he's a big 10 guy. He went to Indiana, All right. big 10 guy. I went to Northwestern. Okay. Um, All right. And same thing with Schmidt. I mean, I'm a sucker for unique arm slot yeah. relievers. It's, it's a, it's a masterclass and an art what they're able to do. And that's why I think so many people love what, what Nestor Cortez does. They're just fun to watch. It's unpredictable. They got so much movement on their stuff. So I think that was an under the radar move as well, because like I mentioned, if Wes Nesky is not part of your future rotation, use him to get somebody that has five years of control. It's only in his second season in the big leagues. I mean, you, you could start to see him for years and years, like a Chad green type of role, like Mm -hmm. pitching in different spots, high leverage, fourth inning, eighth inning. Uh, obviously, he's got to prove it in pinstripes, right? But to come from a big yeah. market like Chicago, it certainly seems like they've had his, you know, they've had him on their radar for quite some time, too. Yeah, that was a, I mean, that was a master stroke by Cashman. I mean, yeah. I'm like, like you can, you can sit there and say, yeah, the rotation probably took a hit in terms of depth. But I mean, what he did with the bullpen and how he reinforced it in a matter of like hours. I like, 
I, I just don't know how you don't walk away from the trade deadline and say like it was anything short of like a a grade a i mean we've known this for a while brian cashman builds bullpens in his sleep <laughs> yeah i mean i'm like credit to and i, and I was going to say this when we were talking about like some of the arms that the yankees lost to uh in the trade deadline and whatnot uh but credit to the yankees they are really good at two things and that's evaluating arms and the international draft <laughs> like like that's where they restock their pipeline it's 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 college arms who throw hard and, and kind of come from these weird angles they've kind of taken that the the cut from the rays where you try to attack now from every single different hour on the clock um and then you just you know then you get your position players from the international draft and they're just studs so you look at who they have in the bullpen. I think that if in spring training, someone mentioned, Hey, Michael King is going to be the most valuable reliever in the majors and you're going to lose him halfway through and you won't have Chad Green at all. I think there would be panic in the streets, mm-hmm. but the getting Clay Holmes for who they got him for has to be praised for years to come. And his breakout has been tremendous. Uh, Wandy Peralta, Lucas Litke, those veteran guys have pitched well in quite a bit of a, a workload in terms of eating up innings, but also in, in leverage and in multi-inning types of appearances. The Albert Abreu situation is remarkable uh, as well, getting him right. back, pitching to the guy that they traded for using him. And I think Ron Marinaccio is the future of the bullpen as oh, well. Man. His changeup is a thing of beauty, homegrown. So it's a special story there too. I've talked to him a lot this season uh, and, and he loves talking pitching. He's got great stuff. Everyone talks about him in a positive way in terms of his upside and the way that he's producing what, right now. That scoreless inning streak. It, it seems like it, right? I mean, he's come yeah. back and picked up where he left off. Uh, a lot of shoulder issues um, in in the the bullpen this year, but yeah. maybe it's a coincidence. I, I, I wanted to ask a few people about that, so that's something you you reminded me about. But you know, if you know, with with the guys that I mentioned. Zach Britton potentially coming back. You don't need him yeah. to be Cy Young Britton. And Chapman and Loisaga, as much as they haven't been great at all this year, recently they've been a lot better. So I've mentioned, what, like seven, eight guys, and I haven't even talked <laughs> about scary. Trevino and Efros coming back yet. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of a postseason bullpen that you can bring any one of those guys in to a certain extent, in an important spot, if your starter only goes three innings or whatever it is, I think you got to feel really good about this pitching staff. And Mm -hmm. with the way that the offense has looked at times too, I mean, that's a recipe for success, right? So again, great on paper. They got to actually go out and do it when it is October and all that good stuff. But right now you got to be pretty confident about where things are at. Uh, Backtracking, Max, uh, have you had a chance to catch up with Michael King at all since his injury? I, I haven't seen him around. I don't, I mean, did he talk? I don't think he did, or at least I wasn't there for that. Um, I know Chad Green was there a good amount after his surgery, so we were able to check right. in with him. But I have not, all I know is he posted on Instagram that he's, you know, excited to come back better than ever next year and all that good That's stuff. Good. But um, That was a scary injury yeah, that, that happened. Scary and a, a devastating blow too. I mean, yeah. I wasn't exaggerating when I said, you know, most valuable reliever in the AL and his yeah. numbers are insane. Um, and he's another guy like Schmidt that I know from my conversations with King and what he said in, in scrums and to the organization, he wants to be a starter, but 
he is incredibly valuable in the yeah. the role that he's carved out in the pen. So curious to see what they do with him. Obviously, maybe the injury has an impact in terms of his workload and, and starting to build up. But it's a good thing that, you know, his ligament is intact. It seems like he'll potentially yeah. be good to go for spring training and, and around there next spring. So that's something to look forward to. It's really astounding just what kind of a bullpen the Yankees really do have now, especially with Chapman kind of refinding his groove in a, in a middle relief role. Same with uh, Jonathan Belizega. It kind of makes you think it's very similar to the Rays and how they use their bullpen in the playoffs. I mean, the, dip, the difference being uh, what Kevin Cash does, and Alec, you and I have talked about this a bunch. He looks at his relievers, just kind of spins the wheel. Whoever's name comes up, that's who goes in. Whereas with Dave Roberts in the World Series and with the Yankees, I feel whenever they have bullpen games, they know exactly which pitchers they're going to use and when. And if you, and knowing Boone and Matt Blake and how they strategize, you got to figure if I'm the other team in October and the bullpen's coming in, that's kind of almost like an oh shit moment just because <laughs> there's that much depth. Yeah. And, and also looking back when it was Chapman, Miller, you know, the Britain, the yeah. guys that they paid a lot of money for, <clears throat> now it's the under-the-radar acquisition guys and the homegrown talent guys. So it's kind of a change in the way that the bullpen looks from a development standpoint and credit to the organization for finding these guys when it's not just slamming your credit card down on the table like mm -hmm. that meme where you're just buying the best guy out there. So uh, that's a testament to the organization, how well they've done in terms of finding talent, as you guys have both said. But yeah, you, you could use Clay Holmes in the seventh if it's three, four, five in someone's lineup and yeah. still know that you have guys that you can rely on who have pitched in a save situation. Efros had a save. Trevino has save experience in Oakland. Yeah. Uh, Peralta has saved games. I mean, again, you're losing King, which is a big loss. Green has been there before, too. That's a big loss but they could be in a far worse situation now. And Araldis yeah. Chapman's one of the best closers of all time, right? I mean, he's not yeah. that same pitcher right now, but you're having him pitch the sixth. And if he's anything like what he has been over the last couple of years when he's pitched well, throwing 100 with the splitter and that yeah. wipeout slider. I mean, man, having that in the sixth inning is wild. Not many it's teams been, can say they have that. It's been so refreshing to see him just sort of kind of remember, oh yeah, I can throw 100 miles per hour instead of trying to, as my dad, rest in peace, used to say about pitchers when they got a certain way, using the fastball instead of trying to get cute with the zone. Hmm. So, like, it seemed a while, like, because I noticed this year um, he didn't have as much velocity when he first came out of the bullpen. It kind of made you think he was saving his strength for later, kind of anticipating he needed, but not realizing, oh, you're throwing a fastball, like, that you're not spinning that much at a lower velocity. Of course you're going to get teed off. Of course it's going to fall down in the zone more. Well, it could also, like, you know, it's kind of also the issue that Dallin Batantis would run into as well. It's, you know, such bit large men and one miscalculation in their mechanics and everything falls apart, right? You know, if uh, I remember hearing something where when Chapman struggles, he gets a little too rotational, right? He's a big guy with big limbs, and when he starts getting a little too rotational – it can create a little more arm drag, which then, you know, affects the velocity. But if he has this concept of trying to throw in a phone booth, then everything's a little bit more streamlined to home plate. Everything's a little bit quicker. So, yeah, he, you know, some of these guys need to be so 
precise with their movements. And then that's the incredible, you know, evolution of pitching nowadays. You it's, guys, you, know, are, you guys are a little young to remember this because I because I remember when Prime Mariano Rivera, years Mel Stoudemire, the pitching coach, <laughs> whenever he was struggling, uh, apparently they'd go on the mound conference and Posada would say to Mo, "Hey, hey, remember, keep your shoulder in." Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, like that's that's you know a very common thing. It's like when that front shoulder flies out, anything can happen, and you know you don't know where the ball is going to go. But um, I, I wonder sometimes if Chapman's lack of velocity. Is is a oh I'm just trying to reserve it or it's just like mechanically he's just not there and it's just is that something you just got to take with that kind of pitcher yeah it absolutely could be um so I like I actually haven't to be completely honest I haven't been watching all that much recently I've just been busy um but I do see the box scores and it's good to see that he's that you know he's kind of turned the corner a bit and he's getting back to old form I mean it's that it's a confidence thing too. Yeah, you know, it's back to that mentality yeah. where he can get literally any hitter out by just blowing a fastball by them. That opens everything else up. It's it's um, not necessarily an FU fastball, but it's still a pretty significant fastball. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, okay, I, can, I, I can't throw 102 anymore. Let, let's throw 99, 100. Right. Also, I got to do a public mea culpa here because I remember when the Yankees traded for Clay Holmes, I was livid. <laughs> livid well well you, you were livid more just because like you were so de- at that point fans were so desperate for cashman to make a move and that was like the first move and it was like this is a seven era or whatever it was and it's just like ex- five, ex- yeah. excuse me <laughs> yeah so yeah public apology on my end for the few people who heard me uh, rant about that before <laughs> that well max being a being a big 10 guy you're about to go to st louis is this going to be your first time at bush stadium it's not. Last summer, I went. Um, the The personal side of things is my girlfriend's. Uh, she just moved there for a PhD program. Oh, no. um, so oh, last nice. summer, we happened to go. Uh, I think it was actually around the All Star break last summer. I took like a week to see her and travel a little bit because we do long distance. So I try to sure. go see her when I can. Um, and we saw a Marlins uh, Cardinals game. At Bush Stadium, beautiful stadium. I, I thought it, it was great in my experience there. Yeah, uh, I haven't heard great things from some of the other people I've talked to about the city. I know it's very hot, and um, <laughs> you know I, I'm excited to explore it. I'm gonna be there for a little longer than just the the three days of the games because there's not much you can do outside of going to the yard when when the Yankees are playing. Um, so looking forward to that. I, I mean, I'm I'm still working even if I'm not going to be in seattle or boston i just work from home you know yeah it's good it's also just interesting because it's the yankees and the cardinals it's the two winningest franchises in baseball history they don't and next year it's not going to be as special because every team's going to play each other at least like once or twice but now it's like no oh no three games with the cardinals at bush stadium maybe like if the cardinals get hot at the right time it's a world series matchup you get to see nolan arenado you get to see paul goldschmidt uh, I'm super excited. I, I really can't. Yeah. Isn't it the last time they'll see Pujols? The last time they'll see Molina? Yeah. Maybe the last time they'll see Wainwright? Um, it's the Matt Carpenter revenge game. <laughs> <laughs> there are, there are Jordan Montgomery is going to be pitching against the Yankees, isn't he? Yeah. Probably, yeah. It's Jordan Montgomery revenge game. Uh, Harrison Bader will be maybe there, <laughs> I guess. Uh, goes out in a walking boot. Kirk Gibson moment. No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> 
but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun. It's like when the Cubs came to the Bronx earlier this year and it's, yeah. you know, the Cubs aren't in the same position as St. Louis, but just purely the, the franchises getting to play against each other. Um, it's, I mean, we all love baseball, right? So we all yeah. have our different allegiances from growing up and, and family and friends and all that stuff. But, you know, I, I get a kick out of that type of thing where, you know, it brings people together and it's, it's history, right? So like you said, I mean, things will be yeah. happening a lot more often in, in, in the future in terms of these matchups and such, but it, it'll be fun. It'll be exciting. I mean, why, why don't we close with this, Max? I mean, next year, all teams are playing each other. I'm personally thrilled about it. Uh, what do you think? I'm on the fence. Um, I like the fact that the Yankees play every team in their division 19 times or whatever it is. I really like the the competition and especially in the best division in the league, getting that many chances to play against mm-hmm. the Jays, the Rays and the Red Sox. Heck now the Orioles are probably the best team in the division too. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm kidding, of course, but you know, that, that distinguishes a, a team when you have, that many games math is hard so i'm not going to try to add up those four off the top of my head um but that can define a season right we saw last year they struggled against the teams in their division and it impacted their postseason seating so now you're exchanging that with games against the rockies and the diamondbacks like no disrespect to those teams but you have more chances against the other clubs that maybe aren't as good as the ones in your division. It's very Yankee focused opinion. I also love the the rivalries and getting that many chances. So maybe it'll work conversely to what I'm saying and less opportunities to play against your rivalry. Yeah. Usual rivals will make those games even more important and more must see TV while also mm. opening the door to Yankees, Dodgers and Yankees Cardinals. Like you said, those types of things. Um, so we'll see. I, I'm I'm excited for it in terms of the the optics and getting those matchups. But I think years down the road, we shouldn't forget what it's always been like in the AL East and how playing against those teams so many times each year really defines seasons and define rivalries as well. Absolutely. Oh, and of course, we'll close with this. Um, we have Bleacher Creatures want to give a heartfelt tribute to the great Vince Scully, who passed mm. away. I mean... Even if you're not a Dodgers fan, just all the all the calls on YouTube, all the stories you hear about just what a gem he was and clearly a, like a constant student of the game. I mean, Max, I mean, obviously, like us, you were a little young to kind of appreciate him. But have you heard many stories from guys on the beat about uh, about Scully at all? Uh, you know, in terms of growing up in New York, I always thought of John Sterling as like, the the god voice in terms of who i always was listening to yeah um and i didn't cross over with scully that much in terms of not watching the dodgers and and not being around for as long as other guys on the beat and and girls on the beat but you still consider him the goat no matter what and i know as someone that went to journalism school with a lot of people that are pursuing play-by-play that that was always kind of the standard of what you aspire to and and someone that you learn from over the years as well. So yeah, we lost a really good one. Um, But I will say, I I think it's been great to see the clips of his and the stories and all that stuff on social media, because he was going to go eventually. So the fact that he's being celebrated to this extent, I mean, you go on Twitter in the last 24 hours and you're scrolling and all you see is is stuff about Scully. I think that's tremendous Mm -hmm. because it happened at a time where the focus is on baseball with the deadline and, and where the season is at. And it was still able to 
be at the top of the list in terms of what people are talking about and, and celebrating just an incredible um, Hall of Fame, remarkable, unforgettable career. So, yeah, yeah. One of my um, one of my coworkers, he's a big Red Sox fan, and he's got like pictures of uh, Ted Williams all over the place. And we were talking this morning about Vin Scully, and he's like. His call in 1986, you know, behind the bag, and it gets through Buckner. He's like, it's one of the greatest calls of all time. Like, it, <laughs> he completely captured what exactly happened in that moment and how we were all like, holy fuck, that just happened. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I'm like, I remember, like, you know, uh, sometimes I would put on a Dodgers game late at night as I'm trying to fall asleep and just kind of let then kind of carry me <laughs> to the dreamland seriously and then one of my favorite things is like you know i remember watching one broadcast and he starts going into the entire history of beards which somehow turns into like greek mythology and i was like this dude is amazing you're never going to get this again he's almost kind yeah. of like kind of like the sane version of version of phil rizzuto <laughs> like, i swear if you go back and listen to some of phil's old broadcasts on channel 11 the guy was great, but he was he was a crazy person. I, like I remember one broadcast. I think it was one of his last years. The Yankees are playing some meaningless game with the Red Sox. The Red Sox are destroying them. I think it's like 90, 97. And he's just telling the story. I remember I was in Boston with Cora. I proposed to her. First time I proposed to Cora. And she turned me down because then it was snowing outside. And it's like, dude, there's a it's like a meaningless Red Sox game. And he's sharing the story about how his wife said no to said no to him, asking her to marry him in the middle of like a <laughs> random snowstorm in Boston. And meanwhile, oh I think like two plays happen while he's telling the story. <laughs> that, but that's why we love this game because there's so much personality. I, I always say to people, baseball as a sport might move the slowest, but it really does have the best stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hundred percent agree. Yeah. All right. Well, Max, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, this was fantastic. You can find me on Twitter at Josh B E S N Y. Uh, you guys want to give out your socials as well? Uh, yeah, you can find me Alec underscore Monte Calvo. I'll be yelling at the masses. You know, <laughs> I, I don't yell at the masses as much. But lots of <laughs> lots of articles and stats and such. Uh, it's now what? T Goodman for me. Now, wait a minute, Max. I saw you getting into it with a, with someone the other day. They were, they were criticizing something. I'm like, did you even read the article? <laughs> I, I laughed audibly at that. I was like, yep. Yeah. That, that, that happened to me, too, the other day. Like, this, this, like, because I wrote an article basically saying, look, yeah, the Astros are a really good team, but they're not, like, the big scary monster they, are, they used to be. Like, there's a way to beat this team. And some idiot Mets fan called me out for being a Yankees fanboy, repeatedly tags me and stuff about the Astros and says, oh, I, I'm holding you accountable. <laughs> Great. Yeah, well, I say to him, like, if you actually read the article, you'll see I'm actually quite critical of the Yankees in this piece, and I'm actually putting the Astros over. But <laughs> that's the Mets bias for you. All right. Anyway, uh, so be sure to like and subscribe, folks. Uh, Max, uh, enjoy, enjoy uh, St. Louis, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me as well. Of um, course. It'll be a fun rest of the season for sure. Absolutely. Love this trade deadline. All right. See you next time, folks. <laughs>